Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen. With me today are Louis D'Souza and Anne-Marie Young. This is your Daily Dose of Happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. We are indeed, and in fact, we also have a special guest joining us today from our friend Selena Dorsey. Josh Kramer has uh, done a lot of projects with her, and he is also now an author of a book that is just coming out tomorrow as we record this, so probably yesterday by the time you hear the podcast, but that's another deal. But nevertheless, he's got a new book coming out called The Unicorn and You, and he chose LOA Today as his kickoff for his promotional campaign. So, Josh... Thank you, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It sounds like uh, a perfect place to kick off something about unicorns and peace and joy and a daily dose of happy, so I appreciate you having me. And you got to tell us a little bit about the book. You can't just you know say, okay, I got a book coming out. That's it. Forget it. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Well, as you know, we were chatting before, I said I would, I would say that this was a labor of love, but it didn't feel like labor. It was all love. It came from a place of really just a lot of joy, but also need. And so I began this project, I say, two years ago, right at the onset of COVID. But I think for me, it was really more probably 25 years ago when I started reading self-help books and personal growth and development and going through some personal struggles. And it's that, you know, those times that I reflected on when I felt like I had something to say, particularly two, two years ago in March when we were all kind of feeling some kind of way. And I felt there was a responsibility to look for the gifts but also dig a little deeper. And that's what prompted really the start of this book. That's very cool. Where did the title come from? So the title comes from a story I tell right at the outset. And this was probably three, four months before March of 2020. I was in South Florida at a soccer game for my nephew. And nine-year-old running around, as you can imagine, no athletic spacing or precision and everyone just kind of, you know, bumping into each other. And I go to watch the game and I ask where his sister is, my four-year-old niece. And they point to me, she's in this little grass area beside the field and she's playing and she looks so peaceful, so joyful, basking in this unselfconscious sort of sense of being. And as I catch her eye, I come in, she comes in and runs and, and leaps into me and I notice her sneakers and there were these little unicorn sneakers. I, of course, misidentified them as rainbows. She sternly corrected me <laughs> and I couldn't escape that sort of sense of peace and joy that she wore so proudly, like those little sneakers. And it's something that I thought of a few months later. And so that was kind of the inspiration for it is that all of us finding the unicorn in ourselves, that sense of playfulness, that childlike peace and joy, that unselfconsciousness. And so that was the inspiration for it. That's very cool. I like the story. Yeah. I like naming a book after a child's viewpoint. That's fabulous. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and uh, P.S., just last week, her mother told me, we found the sneakers you were referring to in the book. So we're going to try to get those cleaned up, put them in a little case, and make them a, a, a bit of a, an archive here, which will be nice to have. <laughs> Very really? good. I love it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, when you describe it as a labor of love, that tells me two things about it. First, it tells me that you actually enjoyed the writing process, which not all writers do. And secondly, it tells me that you got something out of your own work. No question. And and I'm glad you mentioned particularly that second part, because when I started this so around March of 2020, obviously, like everyone trying to make sense of, of what was doing, it was probably about a month later that I felt like I was looking for something just to relieve my anxiety, my worry, and, and get a little more in touch with my emotions. And I started the process. A few months later, I put it down. And it wasn't until maybe about a year or so ago where I felt like I had something to say. And probably... Early last spring, I was in Montana, and I had the epiphany. And I actually went into Bozeman, found a card that said, find the joy in every day. And I wrote down the principles, and I mailed them to myself. A few months later, I had the manuscript completed. And I can tell you that in the last eight months, the principles have helped me so much. And that's why I felt that it was important to share. They're universal. They're timeless. And I think that they're not very complicated. And what I think has resonated with people who have read the book so far is that they're seeing that it's really an unself-help book, which is to say that it doesn't feel much like a process. It's rather instinctive. And that's what I was looking for myself, something that felt like more of a natural type of approach and perspective. Ooh, have we launched a new genre here? Unself-help books? <laughs> we'll see. Perhaps this is the first. But I think that's what actually has resonance for people right now is that the idea is that 
you don't have to try to recall something in a, in a processy sort of way. It's these, this is about having a foundation for being. And my thesis is in order to be light, which is that feeling that I wanted from my niece and those unicorn sneakers, uh, you first have to be solid and having solid foundation is what allows you to be light. Sam's in the live stream. He says, Ooh, I love a good unicorn. It made me think for a second, is there such a thing as a bad unicorn? I don't think there is. Unicorns are like universally good. Isn't that like the whole idea, the whole motif about, think, about a unicorn? I think mythically they, they kind of are all good. I would have to agree. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, it's funny. I, I was at a, um, I was at an event in Miami back in November. Guy in the personal growth development space, very prominent, was giving a whole speech and a little bit more processy. And at the end, he said something about how difficult this is. And he added, you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And I, and I thought to myself, that's perfect. You just absolutely cued me up. And so the idea of unicorns, particularly with the cover of my book, which I've been told has a sort of a kaleidoscope sort of look. Um, in fact, I, I mentioned I just received it, but you can see from it that it's intended to have more of the essence and spirit of the unicorn, the color, the vibrancy. And that's what I hope, you know, people connect with. Sounds like an ideal thing to me. I mean, I love it. We're all about your daily dose of happy. What more could you describe uh, as a, a sort of a symbol of happiness than a rainbow u- with unicorns? I mean, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. I think so. In a book geared <laughs> towards peace and joy, daily dose of happy, I think there's a, a very good synergy there. I love that. Okay. And and we were talking before the show, you were mentioning how you'd actually lived in the UK at one point. And of course, both Louis and Anne-Marie are from the UK. So yes. you got to bring that uh, connection in here. No, How'd I that happen? To- I have a kinship with Louis and Anne-Marie already, and basically I, I studied in Washington, D.C., and during one of my semesters abroad, I, I went to London. I lived, uh, went to school in the Kensington area, and I absolutely loved it. It's the type of place that I think I wish that I had probably stayed as a professional or at least a, a portion of my life. I'm from the Northeast. I lived in New York City, lived in South Florida, and now back up just outside of New York. But London is special to me, and, and in my view, always a good idea. Sounds good to me. I like that. Would you guys agree? Is London a good idea? No. To visit, not no. to stay. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I always take everybody to the country. The my board, my wife right. takes. Yeah. I always Sorry, take people to the country or the. Or, or, or the sea, or, or something, and my wife takes them to the to London. Uh, okay, doesn't appeal to me. Although I did love San Francisco. Talking about your city in your country, but um, yeah, that was San Francisco really for me. Dark. That's the same category. San Francisco again is a great place to visit. I wouldn't want to live there. Well, it's mm. interesting. San Francisco, and I do a bit of business there, but San Francisco is probably my favorite U.S. city. London's probably my favorite European mm. city, and they probably have some similarities. Um, maybe in climate a little bit, although I know it can get a little bit colder in London. But I just think both have a very special quality. They're manageable. They're clean. I think people are friendly. And New York, you know, is New York. There's nothing like it, but it doesn't quit. And so that's what this I love true. about San Francisco and London. But as yeah. I was saying before, Anne-Marie, you know, based on that response, you know, the U.K. is not going to have you on the tourist board or any type of promotion. <laughs> well, that's because I, I do live right by the Cotswolds, right in the countryside, right by London, right by Wales. So I'm perfectly located. So yep. London's amazing for a visit, but personally, because I'm surrounded by green fields, that's where I'd rather be. Yeah. Mm. I now, can understand that. Yeah. And Louis, how is, what's doing in London these days relative to coming out almost amazingly two years now since the onset of COVID? Does it feel more like, February of 2020, or are we getting there? Well, they've, they've slackened the rules to almost to the degree that even if you got COVID, you can still go to work. So <clears throat> there's almost no restrictions. So we, we, we don't have a lot to push against um, at the moment in the UK. So I'm very happy about that. And um, I, I think it's, you know, I've always kind of said that the way to go with COVID is to, to treat it like a cold or flu. Mm. Um <clears throat> To a large degree, obviously, slight, slight variations to the theme, but, um, and they seem to be getting there. And, um, I'm seeing a lot of the other countries starting to follow suit. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy that 
what I thought in the beginning should happen is starting to happen, um, and uh, we're getting our freedom back. So um, yeah. I like that. Um, We're and, getting and there. A, a, lot, a lot of businesses are able to continue, and I think that's so important at the moment. I was speaking with someone recently about how we've all dealt with COVID in different ways, and I'm sure the topic has gotten tiresome for, for many. But at the same mm. time, upon reflection, when we talk about our personal wellness and growth, I think it's fascinating to see how many people really thrived. Mm. In, in yes. many ways, this was their moment. They felt almost more comfortable. And for some people who maybe like being at home more or, or not as connected socially, or at least in a way that made them feel at their pace, I think it's really interesting as you reflect, and we'll probably need some distance to take a look at that, but it, it reveals so much about people's characters, how they did during COVID in the last two years. Yeah. I think what you've been saying there reveals a lot about New York. But, um... Yes. <laughs> well, well, not just New York. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. It's, uh, we've talked a lot here on the show about the, the various advantages to COVID. Not that COVID's been all rainbows and unicorns. It's been also, right. there's been a lot of illnesses. There's been a lot of deaths. It's, there, there's been a lot of chaos created and so on. But there have also been positives that, that have come out of it. And you don't have to live in New York City to notice them. I mean, literally, you, there are there are a bunch of them that come to mind right now. One of them is, you kind of alluded to, Josh, how people were able, well, they were kind of forced into it at first. They were forced into working at home. They couldn't go into the office. And a lot of them found, I like this. I don't want to go back to the office. This is actually an improvement. You know, <laughs> so there's there's an example of it. Another thing that has happened here in the U.S., I'm not sure to what degree it's happened in the U.K., is uh the service workers, people who worked in the service industries were leaned upon heavily during the lockdowns. And a lot of them got kind of burned out from it and decided to quit the service industry. And now all of a sudden the service industry is having to raise wages in order to get workers. So there's another positive benefit. The whole industry is being raised up wage wise just because of COVID. So I'm, and I can point to a bunch of different examples, but yeah, it, there have been plus, there have been minuses, but there have been definite pluses. That's been a major issue. You're right on the service industry here. And I think it became more pronounced probably through last spring and last summer, at least became more noticeable. But I agree with you. You know, I, I found obviously, unfortunately, knew a lot of people that struggled during this time that didn't mm -hmm. survive this time. Sure. Um, too many people that, you know, didn't and that passed away. And I think there was a point maybe early on when I felt like there were going to be some gifts that came from it. I didn't know what they would be. And I think in, in time, probably we'll have a better understanding of that as well. For me, being able to come to write this book was a gift. And so much of it was done out of self-preservation. As I said, I was looking for something to give me comfort, and I couldn't find anything that was instinctive to me. And that's when I came back to this really perspective in this thesis that I had this foundation for being rather than doing, that maybe I could navigate this time a little easier and this idea of the unself-help perspective, which I shared was more, it doesn't feel like a process. It was really twofold. The second part to the unself-help piece was that it was less of an emphasis on ourselves. And so the principles that I talk about are kindness, gratitude, integrity, humility, and acceptance. That to me, the common thread there is selflessness. And I think those are universal qualities, no matter if we're going through a global pandemic or not. I think the other word that comes to my mind is appreciation. People found reasons during the pandemic to appreciate things that they had taken for granted in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. They, they took for granted uh, health. They took for granted family. They took for granted uh, online connections. They, for, they And all the stuff turned out to be vital during the lockdown period, particularly, and even afterward, such that people now have a different appreciation for the things that they used to take for granted. So that's a huge part. Yeah, it didn't feel like things got a lot simpler, um, and for, for good reason, of course. For me, I know one thing that I connected with much more deeply that I really never did probably as, as, as much on a broader level was nature. And so mm -hmm. much of it was, I remember in the Northeast in March of 2020, I remember after a couple of weeks, I would go for a walk and everyone was out of their house and we were all sort of waving to each other. We really didn't know what to do, but we were all waving, but looking at the trees differently. And obviously the leaves were coming back, but nature took on a whole nother form and shape and level of appreciation. You're absolutely right. Well, yeah. The sky changed color. I noticed that the sky was just this beautiful blue because there wasn't right? so much pollution about, and it was just, yeah, it was stunning. No question. It was. You're absolutely yeah. right. In fact, I noticed uh, when I would do my outdoor walks during that time, just how clean that air was. You breathed it in and 
oh, wow, this is really different. <laughs> I'm not used to air that just smells and feels like air when I take it in, nothing else. Wow. Absolutely. Our wellness took on a whole nother meaning, no question. Physically, yeah. emotionally, mentally, you're absolutely right. Joss, I've, I've been studying a lot, a lot about soil recently, and I've got a huge appreciation for that at the moment. But one of the things that um, – suppose this COVID scenario that Tamari was talking about really emphasized was <clears throat> if all the insects died, humans would be dead in 20 years. If all the worms died, all the humans would be dead in eight years. But if all the humans died, the world would thrive. Yeah. That's powerful. That's powerful. You know, one of the things I talk about in the chapter on humility is our sense of significance, but more insignificance in the world, our own personal sense of that. And I give a statistic that the estimate is something like 117 billion people have existed on the planet. And it gives you a sense of how small and tiny ephemeral we are. And of course, we're all special and unique, but to have that sense of gravity and sense of weight and our sense of size in the in the grand scheme of things, I think, is important. It, 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 it reduces us a little bit, and it gives us a little bit more sense of perspective. And if you As believe you, in reincarnation, you realize that you are your own ancestors, and then you've got another calculation to take into consideration. Right, right. <laughs> As you guys are saying that, I'm also kind of taking the other side of it, in that I think about how creation works. Because this is basic uh, law of attraction we're talking here, basic spiritual side of law of attraction, that uh, all things start as thoughts, um, all all new creations um, in this world anyway start as as thoughts. I'm not so sure about the non-physical. From the things that the stream have said, uh, I am I may be way off, but in terms of this world, it all starts with thought, and thought leads to uh, creates a, a a vibration that leads to other kinds of creation and so on and so forth. Um, and so when I think about it that way, the way I look at the world, the things within the world, the things outside the world, outer space, you know, the, the galaxies and the universe as a whole and so forth. When I think about all of it, I realize that not just us humans, humans are like a, a, a small sliver of overall source energy. But source energy as a whole creates all of that, not just create it once, creates it continuously. And that includes humans. So on the one hand, yes. Uh, you could make the argument that the uh, the worms and so forth are more essential than the humans, but on the other hand, we all play a role in creation, and it's not that we play a greater role or a lesser role; we play a role. So, to me, it's about recognizing that we all contribute. We are all a part of it, not just humans. Everybody, everything, mm -hmm. all all, all of life. Yeah, we are we are all contributing to it. We need and to respect that way, all the different yeah. types of life. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a valuable thing to respect all types of life, including things that we don't necessarily associate as being alive. I mean, I've come to the mm. perspective in the last year or two that everything is alive. You know, the stars are alive. Rocks are alive. Dust is alive. Space is alive. I mean, everything is alive. And when I look at it that way, well, the whole thing takes on a whole new meaning for me. That's the way it seems to me. Anyway. You can't eat any vegetarian food anymore. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I came to that conclusion a long time ago, but yes. <laughs> but you're really, you're really talking about respect. Yeah. Yeah. Just respect just in Oh, go ahead. Sorry, no. no, I was just wondering, since you wrote the book, whether you noticed things manifesting in your life or law of attraction-wise, was it something you was into before you wrote the book? Or as you were changing your mindset, did you notice things were just flying at you that you were trying to create? I, I think it's a combination. And in many ways, and while we had chatted, uh, our mutual friend, Andrew Cap, who's who, terrific, has that wonderful book, um, collaborated with Selena on a, a event, the Law of Attraction World Summit. And it was probably around that time that I picked up the idea of the book again. And as you say that, Anne-Marie, I didn't really... I don't think I realized that until you kind of gave me the time frame. Not a coincidence, obviously. And so in many ways, I think that that prompted it. And then during the course of the process of writing it, and Walt, you had asked, you know, what was it like for me and how did it help me? I think I probably always had that sense of presence of law of attraction in it, 
in many ways, even on its most basic level of knowing that I was creating this perspective that was going to come to fruition. You know, at a certain point, I was reluctant to actually share this. I think some of it just had to deal with my insecurity more than anything else. And then through it came some confidence that, no, I have something to share. I think it's meaningful. I think that'll resonate and whoever it does connect with. I shared one, you know, keep probably most important thing about the book though, and which was if it helps one person, it will have been worth it. And Walt, to your question at the outset, it helped me. And so it was worth it. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the kind of the way I look at the podcast. I started the podcast to help me and in the process of helped a whole bunch of other people. But as long as it started out by helping me, then everything else was going to be a win after that, which it has been. It's all been like one win after another. Because so, it was, yeah. the rest was a byproduct and, and you were doing mm-hmm. it for the right reasons to help. And it was something that filled you and gave you some purpose. And, and now you're helping so many others through a very authentic and sort of meaningful purpose. I, I think Plus, it's just plain fun, to be honest. And it's just fun. I could tell. I mean, <laughs> what we saw before, this is like a Monday afternoon party. I mean, exactly. for yeah. Anne-Marie, this is a Monday evening, but that's okay. And, yep. and, I, and, I, and I sense that, and that's part of the energy that I think that comes across that you all do so well. And I think, you know, look, one of the, my subtitle to my book is A Path to Peace and Joy. And I was so deliberate about that because I felt like so many self-help books, they tell you this is the way, this is the mechanism, this is the process. There's no one size fits all in this world, as we know. And Mm -hmm. so it was so important for me to offer that this is a perspective and maybe it helps you. If nothing else, maybe it prompts you to look at what's foundational in your life. What are the principles that mean something to you? And I'll tell you a very quick story. Probably in early 2019, as a matter of fact, 30 days exactly before I saw my little niece running around in those unicorn sneakers, I was at a business luncheon. And it was for Ryan Holiday, who was speaking on Stillness is the Key, which is a great, great book I recommend to everyone. And I was fortunate enough to be seated with him. And he asked a question at the table. He said, in your life, what do you matter? What do you know? What's for sure? What matters to you? What's your North Star? And I said, I don't know. I think for me, kindness is everything. And we ended up chatting. I had a great exchange afterwards. He ended up giving me this coin, actually, that sits here, too. That uh, it's it ends up I carry this with me because it says, you know, just that you do the right thing. The rest doesn't matter. And he gave this to me that day. Thirty days later, I see my niece running around and I use kindness as the basis for this foundation of principles. These aren't accidents. And so back to you know my point. I think if anything else, it prompts people to look at what are, what are the things that matter in their life? Is, is it, you know, is it integrity? I think acceptance is a very important key to that. Humility, I think, is so underappreciated. We spoke about that. And of course, gratitude is a principle that I put in there that I think for many people, if, no matter where they are in their journey, I think gratitude is the easiest one to get started with. So that's something that I know you probably have spoken a lot about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a fairly regular topic. Gratitude slash appreciation. If there's a show that goes by without mentioning one of them, there's probably something wrong with the show. (laughs) (laughs) That's just the way it goes. (laughs) I mean, I've read the introduction to the book, and I think it's a great starter for people sort of into law of attraction to change their mindset. But when I read the introduction, it just reminded me of Louis saying, fill your glass with clean water. Keep filling the glass with clean water, and you'll get clean water. You know, that analogy that you use, Louis, and it's pretty much the same thing is it's just building positive mindsets into your body and then that positivity will flow around you. That's right. Yeah. And I think that's a really good analogy. I love that with the clean water. I think it's so important. And so many, you know, I think things that we that we read, we take pieces of and really if, if we can extract something here and there and then share it and pass it around, that's really kind of what it's all about, right? It's, it's spreading, it's spreading it around the idea of gratitude. I like sharing even, you know, what do people do for their gratitude practices? Some people do it very instinctively and naturally. Some people, they're very specific with it. And Anne to your point, one of the things that I talk about in the book is, you know, start a practice. It doesn't matter what it is because what works for one may not work for another. And, having a gratitude practice was something fairly new for me, which started maybe a few years ago. And at first it had to do with, all right, what do I, what am I grateful for today? But I added a wrinkle to it, which was, what do I appreciate about myself today? And I felt like that led me to a, a, 
a stronger place of self-compassion, which I think gets often left behind and forgotten a little bit. I'm sitting here thinking about how um, the, the phrase, the unicorn in you, uh, could resonate with people. And I'm also thinking, well, there are going to be some people who are going to, you know, like, I, I don't remember who you referenced, but you referenced somebody saying, well, yeah, life isn't all unicorns and rainbows. Right. Um, and it made me think of something, another book that dates back about 100 years, I think, called Pollyanna. And Pollyanna was the story of a, of a little girl who was grateful for everything. She appreciated everything. She loved everything. She loved everyone. She found uh, wonderful things about all these new people that she met in her life. Um, and the book is about how she's introduced to this town that she doesn't even know before. And she's living with an aunt who doesn't know her and is very wealthy and kind of stiff and stick over her butt and all that kind of stuff. And yet she melts the whole town with her ongoing, positive, kind, grateful approach to life. And the net result that comes out of that book is that the word Pollyanna gets turned into a popular term that basically means unrealistic. Right. Right. So I'm kind of curious. I wonder if your book's going to be treated as unrealistic. If unicorn full or unicorn in you gets treated as unrealistic. I don't, I think to the cynical, yes, perhaps, maybe, maybe not. But I believe that more than anything else, and we were talking about unicorns, are there sad unicorns, right? You know, we said, no, they're only good and happy to me. You know, I tell this story about my niece, but really the unicorn to me represented more our greater potential. It's kind of, you know, in the business world, we know what sort of a unicorn represents. But in the personal world, I think they've become more prominent in, in children's sneakers or, you know, toys and things like that. To me, I think it's universal. Unicorns represent greater good, greater potential, our higher being, our, our you know, our superpowers in a way. And that's kind of what I was trying to get across here. Let's find the unicorn in you. And so as I'm talking about it, I don't know that there's going to be a sense of eh, being kind, being grateful, having integrity, living humbly and accepting life as it is rather than regretting what it is and is unrealistic. I think that it will ground people more in a sense of being and hopefully lead them to a path that's rooted more in peace and joy, which is really the essence of it. It's about simplifying. I call it sort of back to basics. I love that. I love your optimism in that regard. And I, I'm on, I'm fully on board. And in fact, I, I agree to the, to the extent also of saying, it seems to me the population of today are more accepting of this kind of viewpoint than they would have been a hundred years ago. hundred so. years ago it would have been a very resistant population to anything along this line. No question. And, yeah. I'm not even sure why that is. I mean, we were coming out of a pandemic now. A hundred years ago, they were coming out of a world war, you know, so, and followed by a Spanish flu, which has been well documented lately. Um, and, you know, so, so both worlds, so to speak, have been going through rough times and are coming out the other side. But for some reason, it's a little different this time. I can't put my finger on why, but it's a good thing. Feels more optimistic, you mean? It does. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. And certainly there's a sense that, or at least, at least for me, you know, there's always going to be doubters and, and folks that maybe are a little negative or pessimistic. And I think those that, you know, sort of stay in a different lane, swim in a different lane, they really don't see it. Or if nothing else, they're, they're unbothered by it. And I think that, you know, something like, I read so many of these books and I always, you know, we had this conversation last night at dinner with some friends and they were saying to those that write books and sometimes people are dismissive of them. He says, well, how's your book? You know, what is, what is your book like? And these are people who usually don't write books or don't really maybe perhaps even contribute or, you know, it's very much the man in the arena, you mm -hmm. know, get in there and try. Um, yeah. That's really what it's more about. And it's funny when you mentioned Pollyanna, cause that's what I was thinking about that term that, does kind of, you know, lend itself to that feeling of what's perhaps unrealistic. But to me, I right. always look at Pollyanna as something also is very happy and maybe free and childlike. Um, so perhaps, you know, it's a little bit of both. And I'll be honest, I treated the term the same way because I had never read the book until a right. few years ago. And I decided to read the book and I said, oh, this is what it's about? Really? Right. Not it's what I expected at all. About a delusional little girl. <laughs> <laughs> delusional, right? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> yeah, who just happens to win the entire town over to her way of thinking. Right. Yeah, that certainly was <laughs> not the pitch to the publisher, but that's you know, <laughs> that's pretty much what the public would have reacted. Yeah, right. Online, that's what they would be calling it. I want to read this about this crazy delusional little girl. But so I, um, you know, right. So, so far, I've been fortunate. The feedback has been has been very positive, and I, I, you know, I wrote this. It's a it's a short book, so it's a nice type of read. I felt like it would be a warm guide, sort of a book that I enjoy keeping on my nightstand. Uh, it's 22,000 words. It's it's very manageable. You can read it in one sitting or you can just pick it up and, and read a section on integrity. And I tell some great stories and fables. I don't know if you've read uh, Ikigai and um, uh, Ego is the Enemy, some of these smaller books that I just I really love. They're the great nightstand books. And, and this is as well. So I, I, I think I think it will have resonance with people. We love stories around here. So I'm going to see if I can poke one out of you. Can you share a story from the book? Well, the story about my niece is certainly one that I would point to for sure. Um, and certainly that, that doesn't really, I guess, you know, bring together the whole principles. But I will say there was a story that I share about a teacher who uh, has a glass of water and holds it up to her class. And she says, how much does this uh, glass of water weigh? And everyone's yelling out different answers, half a pound, an ounce, two pounds, and she tells the class, uh, the weight of the glass and the water is really relative for how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute, it's not too heavy. If I hold it for an hour, it's a little bit more so. If I hold it for a day longer, it starts to really weigh on me. And that's the story that I tell that leads into the chapter on acceptance. And acceptance for me was kind of the anchor of all the principles. I thought it was so important. I came to this through understanding and I built it, Emory, as you, as you saw in the book, it's kindness, it's gratitude, integrity, and humility. But acceptance, when I came to that fifth and final principle, it was this idea of what about tolerance? And tolerance felt to me like putting up with something. But acceptance, I felt like had to do with flexibility, flex that we have in our mind to hold different competing views, conflicting views, even things that we don't like. And so that idea of the weight of this glass of water is what we choose to hold in our minds and how, how we choose to hold it. And so acceptance to me is a sign of maturity, of the sense that we could have things that we don't like uh, in our minds, but we understand that it's, it's our truth, it's reality, and we find a way to exist with them. Yeah, for me, acceptance is exactly one step away from appreciation. If you've reached acceptance, it's just one little step more, and all of a sudden you're in appreciation mode. Absolutely. And, and I'm so glad you said that because that's, that's powerful. When you think that acceptance in many ways, you know, we are recognizing what is, and perhaps we're finding the positive in it to make peace with it. And that can certainly lead you then to appreciate it. I, one of the, the key themes of the book is this idea, um, and you probably certainly know it much from Law of Attraction, is uh, for me, not to me. And I think that becomes really powerful. Looking at something as things that, particularly when we're talking about things that we don't want necessarily, things are happening for us. They don't have to happen to us. We don't have to be victims, and we can find the good in them. And it's hard to do sometimes, especially with a lot of things, but that's life. And, uh, you know... I definitely agree with you that that idea of appreciation, that that's the essence of the, the chapter on gratitude. This is interesting because I, I was thinking over the weekend on a topic that really isn't directly on the surface anyway. It's not directly related to what we're talking about here. But all of a sudden I find that it's, it's coming into the conversation. Uh, and so let me, because I was going to roll this out at some point anyway, so this seems like a good time to roll it out. I, I've been kind of in my mind, uh, I, I, for the longest time I've been kind of, dealing with the idea of vibration and frequency of thoughts of things of, of you know all stuff vibrates and the, the general way we usually describe it in law of attraction circles is when something vibrates it vibrates at a certain frequency and if you are on the same frequency you're going to tend to draw it into your life blah 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 but there was always a problem with that in my mind and the way i the best way i can think of to express the problem is if you if anyone has ever played a, a, at a piano at a keyboard and if you just hit randomly you know a bunch of notes that are all next to each other it doesn't sound nice it sounds like it sounds like this really awful sound 
But if you space out the notes in a certain way and then play them all together, it sounds harmonic. It sounds beautiful. It sounds gorgeous. But they're not the same frequency at all. In fact, octaves are literally twice the frequency of you know, of the previous note as you go up the, the octave scale, so to speak. So, I mean, there, there are large variations in frequency. And what I finally was realizing over the weekend is what makes stuff similar isn't the frequency. It's the harmonics. Mm. It's the overtones. And when I started looking at it that way, all of a sudden, my whole understanding of how vibration works took on an entirely different look. Because Define really, that's what you're talking about. A harmonic? Define, oh, yeah. I should, there, no, 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 no. Just hang on. Define harmonics and overtones. Right. Uh, um, and I should define those. Um, in sound theory, a harmonic is literally a tone that is a multiple of the frequency of tone X. So if tone X is 400 hertz, then multiples of that would be harmonics, 800, 1200, 1600, 2000. Um, and so, for instance, so, octaves being 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 uh, twice uh, each other's uh, frequencies, they're, they're basically two steps, two harmonic steps away from each other in all cases. So that's what a harmonic is. An overtone is they, they aren't necessarily evenly spaced out like that, but they are tones that, for a variety of mathematical reasons, um, work with other tones. So they may not be exactly twice as much, much as the previous one or, or, or something along that line, but they are a range up that is mathematically, uh, I, this is where my language starts to fall apart. It's, it's mathematically coherent to the original um, tone. And so there are a lot more overtones than there are harmonics when it comes to comparing to the original tone. So that's where harmonics and, over, and overtones come into the thing. So in my simplistic way of looking at things, it's contrast. Uh, well, it can be contrast, yes. But it can also be uh, similarity. Because if, if you ask a person, if you, if you uh, play middle C, low C, and high C, some people will say those are very different notes. Other people will say it's, it's the same note. It just sounds a little bit higher or lower, but it's the same note. Now, there are, two, there, there are three different frequencies entirely. But mm -hmm. because they are harmonic in nature, the harmony makes them seem so similar. Right. So the similarity is in the harmony, not in the vibrational frequency. Out of curiosity, any musicians on this broadcast? Not well, I'm, I'm getting back into it. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's been an ongoing sub-theme. I, I, I took piano lessons until I was 13. I'm now 64, going on 65. And for the first time in 51 years, I bought a keyboard and started playing it again. So that's been like a little sub-theme going on. And how are you finding it? Because I tried picking up the piano after many, many years. Oh, gosh, 30-plus years. And I found it very, very difficult. And I'm sure that when I was younger and I wasn't particularly good, but my understanding of it was which much quicker. Let, let, let's just say that I'm very grateful for the fact that electronic keyboards had headphones, so nobody else can hear what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> but you're, you know, it is hard the first few times, but I've only been playing it now for about a month, but every single day I've been playing a little bit every day, and I've gotten a lot of my touch back just yeah. by doing it every single day. Yeah. Some days it's only five minutes, but I make sure I sit down every day and do something. That's great. I play some scales, if nothing else. And yeah, I'm getting a lot of the touchback. Some of the times my fingers still, oh, I, I tell my fingers do this and they go, Bleh. and other times they go, Dee -dee -dee -dee. you know, it, it varies, but, but I'm getting more Dee -dee 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 than I'm getting, Bleh, which is an improvement. <laughs> That's great. That's great. I'll see. I'm like you, Josh. I used to read, be able to just read music and like play. And now I'm older. It's just gone. <laughs> it's amazing. And I guess when we're young, we're sponges and, or at least yeah. something about our aptitude, but I tried to even read the sheet music. I mean, it was just too much of a strain. And, and while, unfortunately, my piano did not have headphones, so it wasn't available <laughs> for anyone else to have to listen to. So had to clear the house out just while I played. Yeah, I, I strongly recommend electronic keyboard with headphones. It makes it makes your life easier. Okay. I mean, yes, it makes the lives of everybody else around you easier, too. All they hear is the sound of keys being pressed down. They don't hear any notes coming out. Right. You know, but, but you also feel better about yourself because you know you're not bothering anybody else. So you can make mistakes and who cares? It doesn't matter. It's your mistake right. and, uh, you know, it never gets recorded anywhere. So big deal. And I was just thinking as I sneeze just there that I'm so grateful for that mute button. 
<laughs> yes, that's the alternative to the headphones. It's the mute button. <laughs> that I think was uh, we we joked on all my business calls. The 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 phrase of twenty twenty or twenty one was "You're on mute." That was on every business call at some point or another. You're on mute, and uh, so that could have been on Time Magazine or something. The the, the person of the year was "You're on mute." <laughs> I think I say that about three times a day. Do you typically? Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually when I when I my my folks live out of state, and usually when I'm connecting, if we're rarely on Zoom, but if so, it's always guys, you're on mute, and then it's usually a discussion of how to find the unmute button. So, yes. But that's okay. <laughs> I want to go back to the music theme for just a second. Um, yeah. Louis, you, you, I didn't really hear one way or another. Did you have any kind of a musical background, or did you not do anything musically? Oh, I love singing, but nobody likes it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just trying to finish the, the, the question that Josh had raised about, you know. Oh, I remember um, singing in the back of the church and going up to the high area and just singing my, my lungs out, and I really enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, but nobody seemed to enjoy my singing. So. <laughs> as long as you did, Louis, that's all that matters. <laughs> exactly. I still sing to myself in the shower. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I guess the answer to your question is, regardless of ability level, I guess everybody here has a bit of a musical background. We do, although I don't think we're getting the band back together with this foursome. (laughs) 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 I'm probably just as well, considering we didn't have a band in the first place, but yes. No, no. I I played the trumpet when I was eight years old till about 11, and all the kids started dropping out, and finally I was the last trumpeter, and so all the solos and band, everything became a solo. And finally, I was the last man standing, last little boy standing, and that was it for me. So that ended my musical career as well. <laughs> uh, so my, my dad lives a story that when I was born, I was born at the Royal Marine Barracks in Deal, and that was the Royal Marine School of Music, and my dad was one of the drummers. So they were playing right outside the window when I was born. So I came out, and he just opened the window and, my daughter's trying to sleep. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Shut up. That's great. <laughs> Anne-Marie, if you could play one instrument, which one would it be? Well, I learnt the clarinet because I wanted to play the saxophone. Hmm. But then I got asthma and I really struggled with it. (laughs) Now, is that because there are similarities for the breathing or... Yeah, it's it's the same, the reed, the same mouthpiece. Okay. And the, the, the fingers, the notes are similar. They say if you're going to play the saxophone, it's good to start with the clarinet. Mm. So actually, I started with the recorder and went to the clarinet. <laughs> the recorder. <laughs> yeah, do you remember the recorder, the plastic uh, recorder? Yeah. I can still play songs by ear on the recorder when the kids have got one. Right. It's kind of a very piercing melody from, from it's, the recorder. It's, they don't come with headphones. No. Sadly. No. No, well, depends on the recorder, though. My, my my father had a wooden re- recorder made out of wood, really? and it had a nice mellow tone to it. So I think it depends yeah. on the instrument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Louis? Uh, Josh, where where were you born? I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, which is a town in northern New Jersey, probably twenty miles outside of Manhattan. It was known way back when as Silk City, and unfortunately mm-hmm. became a different type of city, a different type of town. <laughs> Yes. And, you know, I still feel very connected to it in a, in a strange way. My great-grandfather lived there um, until his passing. My great-uncles were there. I've had family that were all born there. And I've recently got involved with a charity organization called Oasis, which helps women and children. That's based in Patterson and actually brought me there because I felt very connected to it. So I was born in northern New Jersey, grew up in the, in the area. And ended up, as I mentioned, I went to school in Washington, D.C., and I lived then in New York City, Miami, back to New York City, and, you know, back in New Jersey. But I sort of covered the eastern seaboard, but always felt like a, a northeasterner. But I love to travel. And so I've been fortunate to see so much of the world. And to me, that's really, you know, it's I was speaking with someone the other day about travel is this idea that the diversity of thought that you come across tends to be forgotten a little bit. It's the idea of the sites and the memories aren't typically the the things that we think we're going to recall from our trips. 
but it's to me, it's the exposure to diversity of thought that's so important and becomes meaningful and, and, and stays with you. Yeah, I agree with you completely. I mean, when I meet people, I can often tell if they've traveled or not. Right. Just that's by the right. conversation we have. That's right. The, the tolerance of other people's belief structures is one of the biggies. There's no question. Mm. And, you know, in the United States, the, the two most popular destinations, and I say this in complete seriousness, is Disney World and Las Vegas. And that should tell you everything you need to know about the travel appetite of many Americans. Yeah, I and couldn't believe that Bush had never left the country. <laughs> you want to run a country, be a president of a country and you've never been to any other one. <laughs> you know, that exposure. I, re I recently, about four years ago, I went to Southeast Asia and I was fortunate to go to a handful of countries there. And it was just fascinating. And prior to that, I had spent time in East Africa and South America, which I really enjoyed. And... Of course, my time in London allowed me to travel through much of Western and Eastern Europe. Mm -hmm. And I just think it really does shape your, your worldview. I think it becomes so much more open-minded, but it's, it's that exposure to diversity of thought and seeing, you know, so many people when they travel, of course, they, they want to go to the same places. And this isn't how I eat this at home. This isn't, you know, what I do. It's like, that's why you do something different for that, for that mm -hmm. new experience. And even uh, traveling through the United States, I love domestic travel here. And I find that seeing different parts of the country has, has really helped me grow a lot as well. You know, you get into New York City, you're in a bit of a bubble. And so, you know, there's so much more outside of, of Manhattan. There yeah, is. There's a lot in Manhattan, but still, there's a lot yeah. outside. That's for sure. Yeah. One holiday I flew into Minneapolis was for a conference, but um, then I went to San Francisco, uh, rented a vehicle, went up Napa Valley, then... Uh, across to, uh, it's not Yosemite. What is it? It is Yosemite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably. Um, and then, you know, had a look at the Sequoias and went to a ghost, um, mining town, which was great. It was redone up and then across the Death Valley to Vegas and Vegas to Hoover Dam and Hoover Dam back to Los Angeles, Los Angeles, Santa Barbara. Um, that was an amazing trip. That's a great you. trip. That, that is a good trip. trip. You know, play, playing chess on Venice Beach and oh. <laughs> with these these guys who look like half stoned out of their brain, but totally thrash you. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, interesting about that, Louis, is this idea that let's say you had on your list to go to the most famous site in, in Los Angeles, right? Maybe the Hollywood sign or to get some sort of picture from a hike, and you got that picture. One of the memories, though, from your trip was playing chess on Venice Beach. Yeah. Not, not in the guidebook. And that's nope. not, it's just those types of memories that you don't expect. Sometimes it's a little walk down a, to a little cafe or having, you know, a drink somewhere or in a, a mm. random encounter or conversation with a local. Those are the memories. Yeah. I remember exactly. when I was in, um, uh, it's, it was kind of like a colonial hotel in Yosemite and, uh, um, you know, they were playing piano in, in the lounge with a fire and I was sitting next to this American. So I struck up a conversation with him and I said, what do you think of Arnie getting in governor? <laughs> and, uh, he said, well, well, you know, I look at it like this. He said, um, you know, Arnie's got enough money, so he can't be bribed. So I voted for him. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have our basis for voting. <laughs> you know, that's, that, those are the kind of things that I remember quite Absolutely. Visibly. Always, always. I'm not exactly a, a world traveler, but I've done a little traveling. And, and you're reminding me of the trip that my wife and I took to Barbados uh, shortly after we were married. Uh, now, we did the usual things that tourists do in Barbados, but we also hired a a local cab driver to just kind of give us a tour of the island and give us island history and so forth. And that's my best memory of the whole thing, the chats right. we had with Steve the driver. That's right. Because he was so knowledgeable and, and I, we felt like, plus, well, the really interesting part was <clears throat> he wasn't actually native to the island. He grew up in Canada, but he had lived oh, there right. so long that he knew the island really, really well. I mean, he knew it like the back of his hand. He knew all the history. He knew all the interesting places to go. He knew the people. He knew all of it. And it, it was like getting a seminar in Barbados just talking to the guy. 
And that, com that comes from open-mindedness, right? You don't go into the trip with a list of, I'm going to have a great conversation with my driver. <laughs> right. and you probably have other things that people tell you what to do, eat here, go there, take this picture, make sure you see this main site. And it's when you stay open-minded to all these things, those, they end up, they stay longer. And mm. I think that's, that really, um, they become meaningful. Our memories, we don't know necessarily where they come from, but I love this idea of, and I've been wrestling with a little bit lately, the idea of moments, the moments in our lives. And oftentimes they're not the big ones that we think. And you go to Paris, it may not be in front of the Eiffel Tower. It'll probably be something else. It's like exactly. go to London and have a look at Big Ben. Oh, dear, it's under construction. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, next. <laughs> we'll head over to the Ferris wheel, right? Yeah, <laughs> <That's> very true. <laughs> yeah. The London Eye. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I, uh, I'm realizing we got about 10 minutes left and I got to get a couple of announcements in. So bear with me for a moment here. First and foremost, for those who attended the summit, uh, look in your emails because you will find an email there about the fact that the entire replay has finally been published. I finally got all those episodes done. So, um, if you, for whatever reason you didn't get that email and you were involved in the summit, let me know. Just send me an email and I'll make sure that you get the link for that. So want to make sure you know about that. Um, I had a bunch of, uh, we have a bunch of guests coming up this week, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'm not going to try to go through them all because they'll take too long. But uh, we've, we've got some pr pretty cool stuff coming along here. So I guess that's my way of saying stay tuned. And then third, we've we've repurposed one of the Facebook groups that I created uh, a, a while back. I originally created it as Pivot Pals. We later turned it into the Building Self-Love and Social Connectedness group, and it has now been repurposed into the LOA Today group. Much longer name than that, but it's basically going to be the LOA Today group. So um, up until this point, it hasn't gotten a whole lot of activity. There's probably, I don't know, 25 people in there. But I want to encourage people who are listeners to join the group because we're going to be doing special events there, special stuff's going to be going on. So it'll be above and beyond what we do here on the show. But you'll want to check in because there's going to be some cool stuff going there. So if you haven't already joined that group, and most of you haven't, Check it out. Join the group. So wanted to get, make sure I got those announcements in before I forget about it. You got a lot of good stuff going on, Walt. Well, we're, we're trying to. I'm trying to kind of expand what the show is all about because we have a very strong association in, in the minds of most people, particularly a guest like yourself, considering coming on the show. They say, oh, well, it's about law of attraction. I'm not sure how much I know about that. And to be honest, I mean, we do talk about it occasionally, but we're really talking about life more than anything else now. We're talking about, uh, I've kind of renamed LOA into living our abundance. In other words, what what is the abundant part of your life? And I mean, since the law of attraction touches every single aspect of our lives, why not just make it about life? So the show is now going to be about life going forward. And toward that end, I'm working to bring in guests from a variety of different uh, viewpoints, a variety of different understandings. Some of them have no idea about law of attraction at all. Um, we got a really interesting guest coming in tomorrow. He he went through a series of near-death experiences. I think he experienced 20 in one, season, one, one summer. Like, whoa, okay. So this guy's going to have a very interesting perspective on not just near-death, but also he's going to have, I'm sure, his own perspective on what comes after the physical life that we're in. So that's going to be interesting. Um, we had, uh, we're having a guest on Wednesday named Dave Combs, who is a pianist. He's been a pianist all his life, speaking of the musical theme. And he's going to talk about what it's been like to basically create a musical career for himself. And it's been a full life. I mean, he, he's now, I believe in his seventies and just had one long career, um, making music. So, you know, there, there's another example of it. We're, we're, we're going to be trying every which way we can to just reach out far beyond the whole topic of law of attraction and really make the whole thing about life. That's beautiful. You cast a wide net and you're going to get a lot of interesting people. And hopefully we're going to get a, a broader audience too. I mean, we have a wonderful audience. We have, I mean, the, the followers of the show are loyal, absolutely loyal. Um, I'm to give you an example. You're, you're on the screen or you're sitting next to Anne Marie was originally a listener who became a co-host. Yeah. Louis was briefly a listener and then came up, became a co-host. I think he listened to one show and then he was ready. Okay. Let's <laughs> jump on board. <laughs> I was, you know, to the show to see yeah. if I wanted to, to talk on it. But that, that was my focus. <laughs> and you did. I feel like I should have, you know, started with long-time listener, first-time caller, you know, because that's what it, uh, that sort of feels like with this group. It's great. But that, that's, that's, that says a lot about 
the effect and also, like you said, it's about life, which is universal. So yes. I don't think it excludes anyone and it makes everyone also feel very welcome because, you know, we all feel relatively the same things, you know, when it's all said and done and to be able to connect in a way that at least, you know, when you're in a, a space of sharing, there's this idea of, remember, we always hear um, a brave space or safe space. I always think it's more of a brave space than necessarily mm -hmm. safe space. And so when you're in that mode and it looks like you certainly, I know from, from past, you know, programs that I've watched, you do that. So you do it very well. Thank you. Josh, I, appreciate I, that. I love those words, a brave space instead of a safe space. I hate it when somebody mm. says, be safe. I say, no, I want to be exciting. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. You can be safe if you want. <laughs> yeah, to me, it sounds too cliche, especially now. And, and especially when it's said in a way that it um, doesn't feel authentic necessarily. Like, you can share. It's a safe space. That makes me feel like it's very unsafe. Um, but when you, you know, it's un or it should imply that it's a space that you could be brave and share, I think that has more power, more meaning to it. Hmm. Yeah. There was a statement guess, somebody once said to me, he said, only the bold, courageous, and adventuresome get to God. Mm. <laughs> Interesting point. Oh, Brenda put a question into the uh, live stream. She says, what about the LOA Today app? I haven't forgotten yeah, about the I'll app, the Brenda. <laughs> it's, it's, the, I, I've mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll say it again. Basically, what happened is they made changes to the, the, the under, underlying uh, API, as it's called, of the app that were beyond my ability to parse them. I couldn't quite figure out what the new app version was supposed to be doing uh, of that underlying software. So I'm, I'm trying to find somebody who can actually help me with that. And it, unfortunately, the software is, it's populated by a very small network of developers, none of whom seem to be available for hire yet. So <laughs> give me some time. I'm going to find somebody who can help me figure that out. I haven't forgotten about it. It has been a while since it's been, it's been working properly. But yes, the LOA to the app is going to be back. And uh, yeah. Sooner as, as, as far as I'm concerned is better, but I'll just do it as soon as I can. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, and hi, Selena. Selena dropped in. Hey there, Selena. How are you doing? Yeah. Love the unicorn in you, she says. Yeah. I think we, I think we're all beginning to appreciate just how powerful that unicorn in you really is. So, okay. Before we finish up for the day, um, now the book is coming out tomorrow. That's the 22nd, right? 22222 Unicorn in You. And it's going oh, to be available nice. on Amazon, I presume. But where else is it going to be available? Amazon, it... Barnes & Noble, wherever books are sold. You can go take okay. a look at some of the things on Goodreads, of course. Mm -hmm. um, it's just nice to kind of put it out there in many ways, like we're saying, just sharing some of the ideas that I think people may connect with. And regardless of where you are, maybe it's something that you don't think, oh, I don't really like self-help books. This is the unself-help book. and <laughs> But it's more about our own personal growth and development, that's a way not very intimidating. I think it's an approach that will be able to, there's something in there for everyone because there are some fables that we can all recall and classic stories and timeless insights and kindness is something we could all use and stand to have more of and gratitude is something we could all learn to, you know, use, use more in our lives. Integrity is, is as straightforward as it comes and humility. I think we touched on that a lot. It's so important. And then of course, acceptance. So these principles, I think, will allow you to find a way to be strong and ultimately then be light. I didn't get a chance to say it before, but I especially like that you focused on kindness. So often these days oh, people are focused on niceness, and they really are not the same idea at all. Kindness <laughs> is so much more powerful, so much more important than being nice. Being I, nice can actually be contradictory at times. That's right. And I have a, a quote that leads into the chapter on kindness where the 14th Dalai Lama said, be kind whenever possible. It's always possible. And so it's a, it's a very different thing than, than being nice and kindness, uh, as I write, I believe is its own reward as well. And so there's a lot to be taken from that. I love it. All right, Josh Kramer, thank you so much for coming on the show, making us the launching point of your book tour. This is very cool. Love that very much. And best of luck with the, the promotion and the development of your audience for the book. Thank you so much for having me. I hope to be back soon. I had a great time with you guys and, uh, Keep up the great work. Love everything that you're doing. And again, long time listener, first time caller. So I was uh, very grateful for you having me. Well, by all means, and, and you have the link. So when you are ready to report something, you know, pick a date. Great. Come on, tell us what happened. Give us an idea. Terrific. We love those kinds of news. 
Will do. Great. I appreciate it. Just all right. All the best for, 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 for your launch. Uh, I wish you all the best. That would be great. All the unicorn dust to you. <laughs> Thank you, Louis. Appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Louis. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Thank you, Livestream. Thank you to all of our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody.